learning about how to discern the will of God. And I think that this is something that a lot of people don't really understand. They think they understand it, but I think that when they really look into it, they really don't. Um, there are things that are easy, right? Does God want me to rob that bank? No, it's not God's will that I rob that bank. Easy, I know how to discern the will of God. Well, yeah, that was pretty easy, right? Does God want me to cheat on my spouse? No. Well, that was pretty easy. I, I mean, so we, we know that there are these lists of do's and don'ts, and many times what we do is we gauge our ability to discern the will of God because we know these major do's and don'ts. Solomon, you need a pen? I've got an extra one. I've got an extra one. Here. Oh, you're fine. Um, I just saw you digging and digging, so I was like, she might be out now. I saw you give one to everybody else. Um, so we have these, these lists of do's and don'ts, and sometimes we don't even get those do's and don'ts from the Bible. Sometimes we've, we've gotten a, legal, a little bit legalistic in our life, and maybe we say, you know, I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing that, and it's not God's will that I do blank, or it's not God's will that I do blank. But what happens when it's not something that is easily discernible? What happens when it is, where am I going to go to college? God doesn't say in your, in your Bible, thou shalt go to the University of Washington. Thou shalt go to Centralia College. God doesn't say that specifically in the Bible. God doesn't say, Rogan, you will be friends with blank, or you will not be friends with blank. Right? He gives things that kind of tell you who you should be friends with, what type of people you should be friends with, but not, I want you to be friends with Azariah, but not Solomon. Right? Because maybe Solomon's doing something wrong, and Azariah isn't, so he want, God will tell you who you should be hanging around with in their character, but not that person specifically. But how do you know that? How do you discern that? How do you discern who you should marry, or, or what type of shows you should watch, or, or what type of music you should listen to? Just because music may say the word God in it a few times, but it sounds like every other rock concert, does that mean that we should listen to it? Or does it not? And to be honest, that's a lot of the reason why we do the why we believe what we believe for the teenagers. We do that course for them because there are discernible yeses or nos, and sometimes they are for things that may not be specific in the Bible, but God is very specific in his will. So you look at what the Bible says, and you give people the knowledge that they need to make those decisions. But not everything is that simple. But Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You know what is wrong here? Is the thing that I have here... Oh boy. Do you have one of those, Nicole, one of those blanks? Yeah. The copy that I sent myself doesn't have what the blanks are as highlighted. Um, when I pull it up on your, on your thing here. So I'll, I'll go through it. Um, if you can meet God, um, oh, sorry, I went down a little bit too far. So let's think about God's will for your life. Your great desire ought to be to know what God's will is for your life from the time that you are young until the time that you are old. And your great desire should be to do his will. However, we have a great danger, and that great danger is, in your first blank here, is to refuse... God's will. It's a huge danger in your life. 
to refuse God's will. Nothing is right for you if it is not his will. So I want to give you really quickly here six myths concerning the will of God. Number one, all right, your next blank here. Number one is the map myth. The map myth. The first myth is the map myth. Basically what this means is that people believe that God is going to give them a road map for his will. That it's just going to be easily spelled out. But God does not give an individual a road map. The will of God isn't a road map at all. Your next blank here, the, road of, or the word of God is a relationship. The word of God is not a road map. The word of God is a relationship. And let's just be honest here. As much of a people person as we believe that we are, relationships in and of themselves are difficult. Any married person can tell you that. Any person uh, go to the nursery and ask Joey about one of her best friends that she was just talking to me about in, in the kitchen on before we came here, about how just having that best friend and, and mood swings and how this person says this but it hurts my feelings and me having to be understanding of that and maybe not hurt their feelings back or let it go or when am I going to bring that up, those things are difficult. Relationships are difficult. It would just be easy if God had in the Bible a list and I just looked by name up alphabetically and it said, Alan Harrell, you will get saved when you're this age and then you will go to this college and then you will marry this person, so keep an eye out for them. And then you will go and work here and then you will have this many children and then you'll do this and this and this. It'd be awesome if God just said that, but that's not how God planned it. And God, again, does not have a roadmap that tells us all those things. God has a relationship with us. And in a relationship... They're a little bit more difficult. You have to understand the other person. As God understands you, you need to try to understand him and what his will is. Number two is the misery myth. The misery myth. Basically, this says that God's will equals pain. God's will equals pain. That's your next blank there. And that's a huge myth. As human beings, our minds seem to always go to the worst thing, right? We are, our husband doesn't answer their phone for a long time, and they're late coming home from work. At first, you might think, well, maybe they just worked late. But then as it gets later and later, like, man, is he on the side of the road? I mean, why does it go from he's late at work to he's dead? Why couldn't it be, hey, he was late coming home from work, and then he stopped off at Walmart, and now he's coming home? But it is, and it's late coming home because he was either late from work or he's dead in a ditch, right? And that's just how our mind goes, right? Um, God has a, a plan for you. The mindset really makes people afraid to surrender to God, right? Because they're afraid. And then we think, except, um, you know, God, I want you to, to do everything that, I want to do everything that you want me to do in my life, except... Don't make me a missionary to deepest, darkest Africa, right? Or, or don't, don't let me be married to someone who is a pastor because I don't think I'd make a great pastor's wife. Or don't make my husband a deacon because I don't think I'd make a good deacon's wife. Or whatever, right? Um, I don't want to be a missionary and beaten by a cannibal in Africa, so I don't, don't do that. I'll do anything you want just except for that, right? And it's always that accept for us. And this mindset really makes people afraid then to surrender to God because... Um, they, they are afraid that if they surrender fully, God's going to make them do that thing that they don't want to do. But fortunately for us, God is a loving God. And he wants for us what we would want for us 
if we were smart enough to actually want it. And many times we think that we don't want something, but that's actually what we really need. And if we were smart enough to want that same thing that God wants, then we'd be fine. But we don't. So the next, number three, is the missionary myth. The missionary myth. Number three, the missionary myth. This one is a big one. This is a doozy here. Basically, it says that God calls preachers and missionaries, but he never calls ordinary people. God doesn't call, your next blank here, me. God may call anybody else, but God doesn't call me. And that's, God has a plan for you. It's wrong to think that he doesn't call you for something. He calls the evangelist and the garbage man. He calls the student and the secretary. He calls the preacher and the plumber. Don't cop out on your responsibility because you don't maybe feel called to preach. Um, answer the call from where you are. Report for duty no matter who you are. That's what we should be doing. Number four is the miracle myth. The miracle myth. Now, basically, in the miracle myth, it's the thinking that you have to have something overly dramatic happen for you to know the will of God. You've got to hear some booming voice and there has to be thunder and lightning and a pillar of fire and a tornado or whatever. And there are biblical examples of individuals communing with God through some sort of miraculous occurrence. Most times it isn't this way, though. If you look in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 through 12, it says, And he said, Go forth and stand up upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. This is one of, in my opinion... This is one of the absolute greatest and most truthful passages in the entire Bible, found in 1 Kings. This isn't some New Testament, you know, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, listen for this still small voice. This is in 1 Kings. This is telling you from the Old Testament, there are all of these things. There's the earthquake, there's the fire, there's the wind that's breaking mountains in half. And God wasn't any of that. It was just a wind. It was just a fire. It was just an earthquake. But there was a still, small voice, and that's what God was in. Now, can God make an earthquake and a wind and break mountains? Yes. But that doesn't mean that that is your sign, right? People are, today are always looking for signs, and I, I can understand that people want a fire or a tornado or a bolt of lightning or something that's going to show them God's will. But I'm telling you that generally it is a still, small voice that leads you to the will of God. Most times you don't really even need a sign, if I'm being honest. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 says, But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. Many times you just need to know him. It's a relationship. And if you are married but never get to know your wife, that marriage will not last long. And so if I am a Christian and I never get to know the Lord by praying and doing my devotions and knowing the Bible and knowing His will, how am I ever going to grow in that relationship? 
And again, that relationship is not going to last long. And that's why you see people who used to sit there not sit there anymore. Not maybe here specifically, I'm just saying in general. You see seats that people used to sit in that they no longer sit there and now they're at their house on a Sunday or they're drinking on a Sunday or they're going to some church that worships something crazy on a Sunday because they felt like God was talking to them in the tea leaves. And that, that isn't how this thing works. Number five, is the missed it myth. The missed it myth. The missed it myth. You say, God had a plan for my life when I was younger. I remember I went to camp and God told me that I was going to be a preacher or a missionary or I was supposed to give my life up to him, but I didn't, so I blew it and I missed it. Well, yeah, you did miss it. So far. But that doesn't mean that God has to be done with your life. God may have had a plan for you up until a certain point in your life. However, if you miss that plan from that point, God can begin another plan from anew at this current point in your life, again, as he sees fit. Joel chapter 2, verse 25 says, And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the caker worms and the caterpillar and the pale worms, my great army which I sent among you. You may have missed it, you may have missed it, but only so far. Your next two blanks there. Only so far. Number six. Yes? I missed the sub-point under number four. You don't need a what? Sign. You don't need a sign. The, the passage in First Kings 6. Oh, Proverbs 4.18. Yep. Proverbs 4.18. So number six. Is the mystery myth, is the mystery myth that this is telling you that God's will is a giant mystery, like an Easter egg hunt or something, right? I've, I've, God's got it out there for me, but he's hidden it, and he's going to make it difficult for me to find. And that's really absurd if you think about it, that an almighty God would not communicate his will to us clearly but then hold us accountable for what could have been a misunderstanding on our part. Look, God knows that we're not that smart, right? God knows it. As smart as we may think we are, God knows it, and we should also know it, we're not that great. And God knows that at, at the end of the day, if he doesn't communicate with us clearly, there will really be some misunderstandings. And if God leaves it up to our misunderstandings, our true misunderstandings, how is that our fault? And God is a just God. He doesn't leave that up for that. Because God wants us to, your next blank here, now this is only one blank on your page, but you can put this how you want it. God wants us to know his will. God wants us to know his will. It's, it's just that simple. God wants us to know his will. So, I want to clear up some of these myths, all right? I've given you some of these myths. I want to clear them up. If you could meet God face-to-face -face and ask him one question, what would it be? Rogan, if you knew that you could see God tomorrow and you could ask him one question, I want you to think about it really now. What would be the first thing you would ask God if you could ask him one question? Okay, that's good. Ezra? 
good one. Good one. Yeah. Good. Yeah, that's good. I've often wondered that myself. Anybody else? No. Yeah. Yeah, it could. But it, the, the Bible kind of describes it like it wasn't because they were kicked out of the garden, so I don't think they got kicked out into outer space. Right? They weren't floating out in space or God didn't put them on a new planet. Right? He could have shrunk the guard, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, so it's cool to think about, right? What would we ask God? What questions? Well, I think that if I were not making any sort of rash decision and quickly just ask them, like, who's going to win the Super Bowl? Ah, I blew it, right? If I were really thinking about, like, what would I want to know, right? I would want to know, Lord, what do you want me to do? Kind of, what is the purpose of my life? What is your will for my life? A wonderful biblical example of someone who asked the Lord this and, and kind of, I think, gives us the outline of what we should do is the Apostle Paul. If you guys have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. A wonderful biblical example of someone who asked the Lord on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9. This is a wonderful account, and for that matter, a wonderful chapter altogether in knowing the will of God for our lives. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So basically they were taking any Christians, um, any of, of this way, it's saying, prisoner and bring them to Jerusalem. And some were put into prisons, and some were put to death. And to be honest with you, the way prisons were at that time, if you got put into prison, that was probably a death sentence anyway, right? So continuing in verse 3, it says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. This is an absolutely wonderful promise to Saul about knowing the will of God and his life. We're going to look at some principles about how we can know the will of God in our lives. So Saul asked two great questions on the Damascus Road in this passage of Scripture, right? Number one, he asked, Who are you, Lord? That's your first blank right there. Saul asked two questions on the Damascus Road. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And number two, what do you want me to do? Who are you and what do you want me to do? Now, if you really think about it, I can't really think of two greater questions than that. That really encompasses a lot, and really to the best way that you could do it. Paul pretty much spent the rest of his life learning how to answer those two questions appropriately. Just exactly who Jesus is, and what Jesus wanted him to do. 
Frankly, today, we need to ask God those exact same questions. Because there are many people who pay lip service and say they want to know what God's will is for their lives, but cannot know the will of God in and of themselves. I mean, I'm, it's, it's bad to say this, but this is probably true. Madeline is going to go to Maranatha, and she's going to meet people in her first year. She's going to meet some guys who are going to say, I'm going to be a pastor. And you know what? God probably doesn't want them to be a pastor. Does it mean that being a pastor is bad? Absolutely not. But does God want them to be a pastor, or is their dad one and they feel like they need to be one? Or do they go to a church? And, and look, Heritage, where I came from, wonderful church, we, we sometimes can catch ourselves up in that where you may not say it, right? But, you, but there's so much pressure on kids. You always talk about how going in the ministry is this great thing, and, but you never really talk about how going and working at the machine shop is a great thing or flipping burgers at McDonald's is a great thing. You always talk about how being an evangelist and how much pride you have when someone is sent out from your church as a missionary. But what about the guy who flips burgers at McDonald's? We should have pride for them as well, especially if they're living for the Lord, right? Now, if they're flipping burgers at McDonald's and they're supposed to be a pastor, then no, they're doing something wrong. That's not God's will for the life. But it is just as bad if you are somewhere or doing something that to everyone else looks great, but to God is not what he wants you to do. You're still sinning. You still are. Because there are many people who pay that lip service. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. O oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. You know, it's good that, that if, if some kid were to come to me and, and me as their, I guess I'm not a youth pastor here, but me as their youth leader, like I would try to counsel them the best I could. And if they needed something more, I would send them and probably their parents to pastor. And it's good to get that biblical counsel from somebody. That's appropriate. That's biblical. That's what God wants. But ultimately, myself, pastor, anybody else from this church, we don't 100% know what God is leading you for in your life. We can look at biblical concepts, right? And if you're telling me you, that you want to go be a cat burglar or, or a murderer instead of seeing you know, what the Lord's will, like you want to, instead of being a pastor, I'm probably going to tell you, look, you may not, it may not be God's will that you're a pastor, but he, I know he doesn't want you to be a murderer because I can easily say, see that in God's word. But if, 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 if he tells you, I want you, if you think that, that you're, supposed to be, you're not sure you're supposed to be a missionary or go, you know, be a salesman for UPS or something, like if, if you don't know which one of those they're supposed to be, God is not necessarily going to tell you that 100%. Just because your pastor may tell you, yeah, being a, being a preacher, that would be great. You know, I think that you have talent for that, whatever. Yeah, you also may have that, that, those skills that make, that make your pastor think you may be a good orator and be able to come up and talk in front of individuals and that you may be able to discern the will of God very well. That may also serve you very well as a salesman. And your ability to discern the God's will may treat you very well when you're able to then, whatever church you go to, be able to be a deacon and a teacher and whatever. And it just depends on what God's will is for your life doesn't mean either is bad. You just have to find out what is right. 
So let's look at some principles from this story of Saul in Acts chapter 9. Principle number one, and you have your blank here is. It's two blanks. Principle number one. Guidance is promised. So guidance and promise. Guidance is promised. You see, guidance is always promised to the believer. Acts chapter 9, verse 6. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. You say, well, that was for Saul, and that was a really long time ago. How can that possibly apply to me? That doesn't necessarily mean that this was a promise to me, you might say. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This verse that I just read teaches that we are God's workmanship, basically meaning that we have been saved by God's grace, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand, or, as we sometimes say, before has ordained, God has a plan ordained for us before it ever came to pass. Psalm chapter 37, verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. God orders your steps. He orders them one at a time. So, Solomon is young. God is not telling Solomon today where God wants him to go to college. God is not telling Solomon where, who, what girl he wants him to marry. God is not telling Solomon where he wants him to work. God may give Solomon a, a desire for certain things, right? God may give Solomon gifts that we can see at his age that we see right now. But God doesn't lay all that out. God tells him step by step. So whatever that next step in Solomon's life, depending on his maturity and, and where he is in his spiritual walk and whatever, God's going to help him to find that next step. And then once he conquers that step, for lack of a better term, he's going to show him the next step. That's how God reveals it to us every single day. Um, Psalm chapter 32, verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. What does this mean, guide thee with mine eye? It's an interesting term, right? And, and you don't really hear people say that all the time today. There have been many times when I'm preaching, and I'll start to say something, right? And Nicole will look at me, right? Not as much today. This really happened a lot when I first started preaching. Well, it still happens today. Not as, not as much. But it used to be like, I would start saying a story, and I would see her like this, like, oh, man. What is he saying from the pulpit now, right? Um, and, and she would, that would be, you know, guiding me with, my, with her eyes. Like, this is not good. You probably shouldn't say that, right? Or kids, your parents, right? Um, if, if, if your parents, and I've, I've seen Jamie do this to you people, and I've seen my wife do it to you people, right? I've seen you guys farting around over here doing whatever, and I've seen Jamie go, Right? And you know right then, I have a choice to make. I can make her have to verbally say something and it's going to be a lot worse. Or I can know what that means. Azariah, what does it mean if you were doing something that you weren't supposed to do and your mom looks over you right now and goes, what does that mean? Oh yeah! Stop doing that right now. And is it going to be worse for you if she had to say, Azariah, I said stop it. Right? And I've seen that happen as well. Right? 
I've seen it. My wife's done it many times. And I don't know if anyone else ever, like I've been on the stage like, and, and like Nicole hasn't been in there and my kids have done whatever and I'm trying to talk and then look at them at the same time, right? <laughs> because I don't want to like mess everything up but I'm trying to guide them with my, like you need to stop that, right? You need to quit. Yeah. This is the same type of, and, and the reason that we know that is because it is an intimate relationship that we have with them. There are different things like I can hear my wife whistle in public and I know that it's her and I know that that's her and not just somebody else whistling because I know her whistle because, yeah, because we are together, right? Yeah. So this is the same type of an intimate relationship that the Lord has with us. He guides us with his eyes. Um, think of some other promises in the Bible. Isaiah 58, 11, it says, And the Lord shall guide thee continually. That's a solid promise, ladies and gentlemen. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall what? Direct thy paths. What God said to Saul was not just to one individual. We need to thank God that his promise is to us too, and he is controlling all things. Right? Um, so God has a prevailing will. Um, this may seem contrary to what you may think, but God has a prevailing will. God can never, ever be thwarted in what his purposes are. God has also a permissive will. There's not only God's prevailing will, there's God's permissive will. For example, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. This is God's permissive will. Not, not, not everybody prescribes to that, obviously. In his sovereignty, God has granted man the ability to disobey just as much as we are able to obey. That's called free will. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. It's, it's just that simple. So to sum all this up, what I've been saying here, it's God's prevailing will that the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord. Now this is going to happen one day, praise the Lord, hopefully soon. Um, and it's God's permissive will that, he's going to make, that we're going to make right choices, right? For example, a Christian should not marry an unbeliever, right? Um, however, this does happen because people don't pay attention to what God's will is. I believe that it was God's personal will um, for me to marry... Nicole, right? That was God's will for me personally. Um, all right, so principle number two. Guidance is provisional. All right, two blanks there. Principle number two. Guidance is provisional. All right, there are some biblical provisions if we are to know God's will, all right? Number one is willingness. First, you, need, you must be willing to know the Lord's will. Remember what Saul said in Acts 9.6, thou... Lord, what will thou have me to do? Are you, really, are you really willing to do the will of God? If you aren't, then you probably won't know it, right? If you, God knows if you really want to know it or not. And if you don't, then you probably aren't going to know it. Many times what we do is we come to the Lord and we have this preconceived notion of what the Lord wants us to do and um, what the Lord wants our lives to be like or what we even want our lives to be like. And we come to God with our wants and we say, God... Make your will happen perfectly in the context and the framework of this plan. My family can attest to that. When we were back home and we were trying to plant a church in Crystal Lake, Illinois, like 
we were continuing to pray that, that the Lord was going to bless this thing that everybody who looked at it said was good. But it was not God's will, and we knew it, and we felt it, and we tried to explain that, but it's hard to, when people are looking from the outside, until it gets maybe to where it was before we left, like kind of the point of no return, right? To where you're like, man, I'm like burnt out, and this is really weighing on me, and um, it just is, it isn't God's will, and, and you're not going to know it if you're not really looking for it. Before you go around professing the Lord and to man, um, not, not my will, but thine, Lord, is what you need to be saying. Make sure that you have the honesty in what you're saying, that you actually mean that. Have some sincerity. Do you really want the Lord's will for your life? The second thing you need is meekness, right? After the confrontation with the Lord on the Damascus Road, the Bible says in Acts chapter 9, verse 8, and it says, Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw a man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. It was evident that the once proud and arrogant Pharisee Saul was now pretty meek in spirit. Psalm 25, verse 9 says, The meek will guide, will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his ways. Do you know what, what meek means, Rogan? Kind of, well, yeah, kind of. I mean, the actual definition of this word that's used in this passage means teachable. It means that you have a broken spirit, right? When, 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 you, when, when cowboys used to find those wild stallions, when they used to bring the horse in to be able to ride it, they used to say they had to do what to it? You had to break the horse. Now, that doesn't literally mean that like you're taking a hammer and you're breaking the horse. It means that you had to break that horse's wild spirit to where that horse now says, you know what, I'm just going to let you ride me. Because when to first bring it in, that horse has never had a person ride for it. It doesn't want anybody on its back. It wants to roam free. Because you've broken its, spi because you've broken its spirit, right? The next one is openness. Saul was open. Saul didn't say, Lord, this is what I want to do. Help me to do it. He says, what do you want me to do? He says he's, he's open to God's voice. He doesn't say, God, I want to be a pastor. Help me be a pastor. God, I want to get married. Help me to get married. I, I have to find a, a partner before I get out of college, so you better help me make that happen. You see, God's going to speak, but you have to be able to hear his voice when he talks. Many times he's going to speak with a still, small voice, like we looked at earlier. This is why quiet time with God is so important. Devotions as well as prayer are absolutely essential in the Christian life, and not just talking prayer, but listening prayer. The next thing you need is yieldedness. You have to yield to the will of God. It's not enough to know the will of God but, and, and to hear the will of God. You have to say, Lord, I'm ready to do your will. Look again in Acts chapter 9, verse 8. It says, And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and to him he said to the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for, behold, he prayeth. Now skip down to verse 17 for me. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, 
that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Imagine if a guy pushes an old clunker of a car up to a gas station. The tires are flat, all four of them. He just pushes it up there. It can barely move. The fender's dented in. The gas tank is so rusted, there's holes in it. He has no water in the radiator. There's no oil in the engine. He pushes it right up to the attendant, and he says, fill her up. The attendant's natural reaction would be, why would I do that? Right? Why am I going to fill up that gas tank when it's just going to go onto the ground? Why would I even fill up the gas tank if it didn't have holes in it, if the engine won't even turn because there's no oil in it? However, that is many times how we go to God. We say, God, show me your will. And God says, why would I do that? You're not yielded to me, Alan. You're not yielded to my will. So why would I give it to you? So, your next blank here. Principle number three. Guidance is practical. Guidance is practical. We are guided by the miracles of God. That, that is not an ordinary way. Here we see Saul being blinded by a light of Jesus Christ. He's knocked over and the Lord spoke to him in an audible voice. Again, this is not the norm. However, we should never discount miracles, ever. We are also guided by the word of God. In Acts chapter 9, in addition to speaking to Saul through a miracle, God spoke to him through his word. Acts chapter 9, verse 5. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Saul was already full of the word. Saul was was a Pharisee. Saul knew the word better than any of us all put together in this room. Saul knew the word. He had heard Stephen preach one of the greatest sermons ever preached just before this and was present for his stoning in Acts chapter 7. And now the Lord himself was speaking to him. Remember that Saul was a Pharisee and was steeped in the word of God. And all of this now was beginning to come together as the word of God was speaking to this guy. And to be honest, much of the will of God for your life is just found in your Bible. That's where it's found. And a quick subnote: never seek the will of God concerning something that God has clearly commanded or something that God has clearly forbidden. That is arrogant and that is dangerous. We're also guided by the people of God. If you haven't found this out already, you'll soon realize that God uses other people to help you know his will for your life. Acts chapter 9, verse 10 through 12. And there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision... Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For, behold, he prayeth, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Now God could be using me to help you right now. Maybe not. He could use you to help another person right after this class is done. You'll often find the will of God in the context of a Christian church with other believers, and it's usually in a very wonderful way. So first, if you're getting instruction, encouragement, or guidance from a brother or sister, make certain that they are also walking in the Spirit. If someone isn't saved, or, or you know, really, to be honest with you, if they're not willing to submit in baptism and church membership, there's probably a reason why. And those should not be the people who you should first go to for counsel. It should be those who are, well, look, it should be the Christians who you trust, your pastor, um, people like that are the people who you should be going to. 
Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety. God is the final counselor, and he will, and we have to obey God rather than men. However, don't, go, don't get so arrogant that you can't learn from other people. We're also guided by the Spirit of God. Another way that you can know God's will is the Spirit of God. The inner witness. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive the sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Saul found the will of God by the Spirit of God. God's Holy Spirit does lead us even today. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That sounds pretty plain to me. Galatians 5.18, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. I love that phrase, led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit never shoves us anywhere. It leads us places. He leads and he guides. And if you're being shoved in a particular direction, that's most likely not the Holy Spirit. Thinking that the Lord works this way is dangerous because it leads to compulsive behavior. You can easily become a religious zealot or make horrible decisions that can really affect your life, your family's life, your ministry. You need to be tender to the Spirit, right? Um, let me skip a little bit to the end here. There we go. Um, where are we at? Okay, so in closing here. Let me fill out your last couple blanks so you've got them because I know that it would have bothered you immensely if you didn't have these blanks filled in. In closing, let me give you the three things about the will of God. First, numero uno, the will of God is for your welfare. The will of God is for your welfare. It's not something that you have to do. It's something that you get to do. Those are your next two blanks. It's not something that you have to do but get to do. If you truly understood how much God loved you, then you would want his will also. Next, the will of God will never take you where his power cannot enable and keep you. His will will never take you where his power cannot enable you and keep you. And last, you're free to choose. Now this is a big one here. We talked about this a little bit before. You have free will. God will not force his will upon us. You are free to choose. That's your first blank there. You are free to choose. However, you are not free to choose the consequences. You are not free to choose the consequences. If you choose to jump out of an airplane without a parachute, there's nothing anybody can do about that. You are free to make a choice, but that choice then chooses for you. The smartest thing we could do is be like Saul and say those two things that we talked about earlier. Lord, who are you and what do you want me to do? If we ask those things, we've got God's will already way ahead of the curve. Let's pray.